Yo, the Leo Trio is back, except Gabe is not here yet, but he did let me know he's just running a little late. We will have Gabe. It's going to be an awesome, awesome stream tonight, you guys. I hope you're ready. Coming out the gate with a big super chat from Rachel. Thank you so much for the support. Always consistent. Appreciate you, Rachel Sparks. So me and Dylan have been uh, looking at this text called the Oralinda. Dylan for a lot longer than me, but we've been deep diving it this week and pretty excited to talk about it. I think the uh, important preface to make here is that this is a text that's been called a forgery by the mainstream. And so that is something to bear in mind. (laughs) It's also the type of thing they would say about any kind of text that might actually reveal something useful or good to know about our history, regardless of whether or not it's a forgery, there's very interesting stuff in there. Uh, and, you know, if it's a forgery or fiction, if you will, that doesn't take away the possibility of some kind of good allegory about it. Now, the next caveat is the uh, the boot boys, the NAZIs, are said to have been really into this work. I think that might be a brush that is painted with to keep eyes away from it. As many things are, you know, put, you go searching for it, you'll find stuff about like, beware, reasonable fascists and things like that. So you guys know us. We're not coming at you through the lens of fascism. We're all about truth, love and freedom, baby. But we also want to explore this very interesting and apparently controversial work. So Dylan, I'm going to bat it over to you to introduce the Orlinda. I know you've been more into the uh, the historicity of it than I have, while well, I've kind of just been combing through the text itself to catch up on what's in there. How are you doing, buddy? Good. And uh, I'm feeling aggressive because it's the end of Leo season. Now we got to deal with this other broad. And uh, I just want to do a community service announcement. Put your shields up because the sun is square the moon right now, and the moon is square Saturn. Now, fortunately, it's, uh, it's uh, sextant Venus, so that's good. But Saturn thing is not a good thing to be doing work right now. So put your shields up, everybody. And uh, as far as the Orlinda goes, like you said, it's, it's not a forgery because somebody wrote it. So it's an actual text. And the gentleman that we interviewed, Jan Ott, has held it. Um, and uh, I, I put the link in my latest post uh, on Subsec. It just came out as this went live. You can see him holding the text and you can see it. So it's not a forgery in the sense that uh, it's not real or it's like, you know, made at a certain point. It came into being at, in the 1860s, 1871, somewhere around there. And the controversy surrounding it may be what people are trying to pass it off as. And so that is like, like, are we looking at the, the, the story behind it is essentially uh, what I think might be controversial because it's claiming a lot of things. Um, and, you know, it could be real. It could be fan fiction. It could be, you know, whatever it is, somebody created an alphabet, which is impressive. And somebody wrote a book, a manuscript or a codex in that alphabet. That's cool, no matter what. Like, that's an awesome feat for anyone who's ever written anything. You have to be a special type of person to be able to do that. 
Um, so I think the only thing that uh, I'm interested in with my work is why people kept asking me if I had read it whenever like I do a podcast and I'm talking about ancient history and this it kept coming up over and over again. And so now we're going to address some things. Yeah, man. So what Dylan just alluded to, we interviewed Jan Ott. He's the guy you see here on the screen. That's going to be an upcoming Interverse episode. But due to the nature of that conversation being a bit more high level in the <laughs> subject matter and the minutia of what we we're getting into, I thought we really need to crack this baby open for the listeners who aren't exposed to it yet. We need to start from the ground up so that whenever they come to that conversation, that episode, things will be more clear and it'll be more interesting for them. So this is Jan right here. Interesting guy. He happens to practically share a name with the first guy that <laughs> translated the Oralinda in like 1876, which is weird. The original translator was Jan Atama. And this guy's name is actually Jan Ott. I found that cool. So you can see these links here, oralinda.org. That's his website. The Oralinda Wiki is another part of his situation, wiki.oralinda.org. Good place to actually read the text with, you know, comparative notes, comparative translations. The interesting thing about Jan Ott is that he has retranslated it just recently. So that's the version we're going to be working off of for this conversation. Now to back it up, here's the uh, Jan Atma from 1872. And next to him, I have a sample of the text itself. So this is a wide ranging manuscript that covers a lot of ground historically in terms of the story that it has to tell. And we'll see, you know, if we like, if we all have fun with this and we want to go further, sorry, Braden, we're wearing sleeves. My uh, sleeveless shirts are in the laundry. <laughs> I'm paying for it. It's hot. That's hilarious. Uh, all right. But we're going to, we're going to talk about the, mythological primal history aspect of the Oralinda and the way far back history that is alleged, alleged to be right after the flood, like 2200 BC around that range. And we'll explore this alphabet. We're going to, we're going to crack this thing open. We got a lot to talk about. So I don't want to waste too much time. I want to get us right into it. I see a lot of our listeners are here. Thanks for being here guys. Showing up promptly on time. I know this is an exciting one. So Dylan, here we have it. This is what the alphabet looks like for the Oralinda. And as you guys can see, where my cursor is at, we have this six-spoked wheel symbol. We're going to break this down a lot. We're going we're gonna to explore this a lot. But the letters of this script are all composed of segments of this six-spoked wheel, which as far as creating an alphabet goes, that's really interesting, especially how much similarity there appears to be to Old English. I like that a lot. So I've got these links built into my PowerPoint where we're going to be able to uh, quickly jump to the page in the wiki that will tell us about the thing we're seeing on the screen. and. That's going to allow me to do some reading of what the translation of the Oralinda has to say. 
Now, I'm not going to be going in order in terms of the order that the manuscript is in, but we are going to approach it from a so, somewhat chronological order. And Dylan, just feel free to jump in at any point as I'm going over this. I'm kind of in presentation mode. <laughs> so Great. Two things I want to start off with, because if you're in presentation mode, we might miss this. So there's two. So this this land is described as two different names um, of what it's a potential flooding or the exist like uh, it's kind of similar to Atlantis. But all time is reckoned by the sinking of this. Right. And the catastrophes that were happening now in some parts of the text, it's called Atland, A-T-L-A-N-D. But that's what the seafarers called it, allegedly in the context of the Orlinda book, whereas the Frisians called it Aldland, which is A-L-D-L-A-N. And that's why when I asked Jan about it, he said it means old land. So even though it's very similar to Atlantis and the reckoning of time based on its sinking is Atlantis, it's not. It's it's the old it's like the old land, like and I and I broached that subject, you know, is is it daughter land? What what is it? And uh but I just wanted to bring that up. And then regarding that, we have to address this because there's going to be conspiracy people, minded people who read this. And we went into that sun wheel. Right. And I just want everybody to know we are acknowledging this now. Yes, it is. Thirty three. Right. You'll see that. Right. So it's thirty three mirrored from each other. So I, I want to say to everybody, don't freak out when you say, oh, you guys are doing this. It's sun worship, devil worship, whatever it's admittedly a symbol of Jesus Christ or the sun, whatever you want to call it there. I address it. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I don't really have a mind for like, well, but what will the trolls say? <laughs> but there's I a do, lot I baked into this dude. There's so much baked into this symbol and we'll explore that. But first I want to just read the page from the Orlinda that talks about what we're looking at here. So if you see, on the bottom right of the slide, three wheels, and there are six letters, one letter in each segment of it. Kind of reminds me of the Soter thing, right? And also about uh, Otland or Altland, Old Land. If, this is just an if, conjecturally, if there is truth to this story, we may be looking at where the name Atlantis came from. You know, it could be the same thing if there is such a place, such a thing. And it could we be know the Greeks stories of been exaggerated over time and made into a bigger thing than they were. Or maybe there was a lot going on and it sank. Who knows? Yeah, And I just want to highlight how that's possible because the Greeks take everything and revamp it as though it originated with them somehow. So, I mean, if there was a culture that was kind of like Leonine and like had to be the center of the attention, it's definitely the Greek. <laughs> so as you see these three wheels the first wheel says ralda around this and around the outside the next one is translated to mean the potential and the third wheel is meaning the beginning and to read from the text it says depicted above are the signs of the yule which is the primary symbol of ralda and of the potential or the beginning from which came time, the bearer, who must conduct the Yule in its circuit forever. From it, Freya made the stand script that she used for her text, which is a text, I think, just without a T at the end. And when she was honored mother, 
Festa used it to make the continuous run script. So the difference between stand script and run script is the stand script is what we see on the screen here and the run script. So the stand script is maybe more for like carving and engraving. The run script is a type of writing that is similar, but allows them to write without taking the quill or the pen off the page, sort of like cursive. It is therefore well justified that we celebrate the Yule every year. It is fitting for us to give eternal thanks to Ralda for imbuing our ancestors so deeply with his spirit. In her time, Finda also described designed a script, but it was so pompous and full of curls and flourishes that her descendants soon lost its meaning. They later learned our script, specifically the Finns, the Tyrians or Syrians, and the Greeks, but they were not well aware that it was based on the Yule and therefore must always be written sunwise. They also wanted their writing to be illegible to other people, as they always have secrets. Thus, they went very much astray, so, so much so that the children could barely read the writings of their elders, whereas we can read our most ancient scriptures just as easily as those that were written yesterday. So... <laughs> What's there's a lot of in there that we got to introduce as we get to it, but Ralda is the chief, you know, the chief god, the top god, or the the source more than a god, more than an individual or a character. It's like source, and it's like the wheel of time, the wheel of fortune. Then also we had Freya brought up and Finda. These are two kind of like opposing Eve characters in a lot of ways. We'll find out more about them as we go. But what's Immediately interesting to me about Orlinda is the assertion that is made in this text that Ralda imbued the original people, and I could be getting the paraphrasing wrong, but the original people had a a language that was perfect to sound matching meaning. And because of that, if people tried to lie or be dishonest in that original language, they couldn't do it without stuttering or stammering or having trouble. And so later deceitful men, a.k.a. the priest classes, created new languages that they could cipher and encode and conceal through. Booty Yoga nails it. Ralda sounds like world. I do think that that is in there. I've got something to say about that. When, when, when you're done. No, go for it. That's it's a great time. Okay. Well, what I was going to address is you have the two... Right. It's almost like standard versus runic. Right. Or uh, like if you remove that S or just recognize that the S and T interchange. So it's sand. You're going to have more of like a holy, which would be like the official like language of the priest. But then the runo implies like whispers and secrets. So it's like a, there's like a an official kind of symbolism or a secret and it's always going to be like the the vulgar and the sacred but um in terms of ralda if you look at it in reverse like first of all it says ralda is god which is good and uh and she's she who is alone it's a guy sorry a masculine archetype who alone is eternal and good right made the beginning commence time well that's the eternal fire, right? Huesh, which, uh, you know, we've talked about this Hughes, right? 
in Greek, it looks like upsilon, a, upsilon, upsilon, eta, sigma, right? It's the old monogram of Bacchus. And if you look at Ralda in reverse, it would be Adlan if you drop the W, which is the root of Atland. Atland, right? And which that's allowing for the R to, to end switch that is a little more yes. subtle or not as known about. So this would, that would look like BR or B, uh, Nun Sophie. It's kind of like a Vav. I fucked that up a little bit. Oh yeah. Like Ben and bar both meaning yeah. son. Yes. But if you look at the bones of the words, it's just B and BR. So for those who want to look at it, uh, bet Nun Sophie, bet Resh. Okay. Now. I also we, think that Yule sounds like wheel. Like wheel could be yeah, a derivative of yeah. that. Yeah. And it's spelled in the text. It's spelled like that. Yule, J-U-U-L. Again, it's going back to this, the Yule, the Yule tie. Uh, the, they even spell it. It's the Yule feast or whatever, but they spell feast with F-E-E-S-T. Um, well, and and what, what wheel commences and ends at the Yule? You know, what is dies and is reborn? <laughs> the sun. <laughs> It's baked into it, right? So, like, there's this is what, this is why I think it's good for people like you and me to look at it is because we're not really emotionally attached to it at all. We can just show you this is the system, whether it's real or not. It was invented by somebody. I guarantee you. You show me. I'll tell everybody here. You show me somebody who knows how to create an alphabet, and I'll show you somebody who was educated or raised by priests. Tolkien is no exception. If you look at his history, now this is where it gets oh, more yeah, interesting. Super Catholic. And Bodhi Yoga noticed this right away, the correspondence to world. Well, we know that the R interchanges with L. A little less subtler, or a little more subtler, I should say, um, is that the W in older languages usually has a letter that signifies like a bunch of different letters based on its use. So it's actually UL or OL. Which going back to the uh, priests of Amun, the Amunian radicals, this indeed signifies world, just like Bodhi uh, Bodhi Yoga said. And this is what you see in the middle of the home oak or world tree. And back to that. Not to mention that Ul is right, taking us right back to Yule if it's UL. Yep, it's all baked into it. And you got and so, L and all just with a different way of sounding the vowel out. Exactly. So this atla could also be an anagram, which if you just rearrange it a little bit, is Alda, which is also going to pertain to old, but also out, A-L-T, in the Americas, it signifies water, but in on the old world, this is the root of things like Altitude signifying height. Hence, Ralta, Ralda, he's a god. He's higher. He's in the heavens. So this stuff is just baked in, and I just wanted to, to bring that up because there's a lot in that name. I yield back. Oh, I'm, this is why I really like this setup where, you know, I'm like, I'm putting the pins up. You're knocking them down. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of the Alda or Alta, like tall, high. That is definitely in there. Now, this is a slide 
where we can just see the script with Ott's transliteration with it. I like, actually really like about this script that there are versions of the vowels for different accents without needing an extra mark on the, the vowel. So you can see that up here on this chart. And then the numbers, all the numbers just fit right in as well, including that <laughs> pesky three giving us the 33. All, you know, what's kind of cool too is how, if this is something like ancient and, and real that was actually used, the four in the old, in the style of four, you know, that is uh, not as commonly written nowadays. It shows you maybe where that came from. Now, one aspect of this story that we should probably put into the mix as well is that the Orlinda is claiming that most of this text was copied down off the walls of towns or burgs or citadels or fortresses, and that that stuff has been wiped away or destroyed by conquerors. And it wasn't meant to be written down, but had to be to be preserved in a crisis or in an ongoing crisis, something like that. Do you want to make any comments on the script here? Um, no, I think you're doing a great job. Uh, it's just, I would also like to add, this is something you can do because if you expand the symbol and don't put it inside of just, a, and don't limit it into a circle, it's going to give you that flower of life, that Lotus symbolism, that cube symbolism. And so the same thing people do with this, you can see it done with the hexagram and the star of David, making the alphabet and the numbers based on that too. It's, it's literally all the same system. It's just, they put it in a circle here versus a square. Yeah. And just as you were alluding to, here it is. You see the transition from nothing and then one circle and then two circles giving you that Vesica Pisces. So this is the the monad splitting, mirroring itself, the first act of creation. Through the first act of creation, we get the three in one, you know, this Triskelly Trinity pattern born out of the Vesica, born out of the mother. So father, mother, son, God, goddess, savior. And as you continue out the pattern through the seven days of creation, if you will, you will eventually be able to have a complete symbol of this Yule wheel. And if you go further with it, you get symbols like, if I back all the way up here, the flower of life. So what they call the middle circle or just one of these circles with six petals, the seed of life. And then as Dylan was alluding to, if you were to geometrically connect points within this design, you'd be able to come up with all kinds of stuff. Metatron's cube, a star of David. It That's goes why letters on. were called petala, petals, petals of leaves, petals of flowers, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, if, there, if this is an ancient way of creating letters, it definitely connects to the idea of petals as a word for letters. Whoa. I didn't thought whoever of that. made this is on. I will, I'd be willing to bet my bank account there. They were undoubtedly connected to the priesthood, either a defect or just, they were just initiated into that system at a certain degree. Do you think it's possible just in terms of conjecture that the priesthood is actually based off of 
these people and sort of like a stealing of what they had? Or do you think that the, do you think that it's what you just said that the free so all this? I approach this like a prosecutor slash poker player. <laughs> and in poker, you have the turn and the river, right? You have the flop, you see everything and you can bet you, you make your case, right? I would be 100% on board with that, but there's a lack of evidence to support that. And you can hide behind the guise of it was destroyed and that's fine. That's your belief. But never in history has one person or one family been responsible for a whole nation's history. Artifacts are constantly dug up, whether those are forgery or real, that's a different conversation. But I will get on board with that when you have evidence to, to support it in the real world. And that's one of the reasons I am interested in this is because when I started watching like Asha logos and stuff, they're using things and deities that are indigenous to Italy. And they haven't once in the text mentioned Italy. They don't once in the text mention Phoenicians. They don't once in the text mention Etrurians. Oh, or they mention Phoenicians. Oh, do they mention Phoenicians? Oh, yeah. I, we're going to get into some Phoenician stuff. Okay. Tonight. Um, I know like they're talking about the Finns and stuff like that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of this, but they're specifically using things that if you want me to get on board with it, I need to see artifacts from that part of the world with inscriptions that date older than what's in Italy. Like Minerva, for example. Fair enough. He's a tough poker player. <laughs> but uh, here is here is the Meg, Megagar amulet, allegedly 6,000 years old. See the same design here. If, it, if it's real, this is in, from uh, the ruins that are located in the Indus Valley civilization, so-called Indus Valley civilization from the Bronze Age in, uh, I believe this is in Pakistan, Meg or Mergar. I don't know exactly how they would pronounce that, but this is what maybe the oldest version of the this Yule wheel that I could come across in my looking for it this week. Just pretty old, if that's real. But I mean, the dating, how, how they do dating for things is also suspect. But, you know, you ask for artifacts. Here's an artifact. It doesn't prove anything about the Oralenda per se, but it is interesting how far back this symbol goes. You know, we have this screenshot I grabbed from Asha Logos's series about the Oralenda, where he's got pictures of the flower of life or the seed of life in a bunch of different places of the world. We'd have to, do quite a bit of legwork to track down all the places where this symbol does show up worldwide, Asia, Europe, even I believe, I know Egypt. It's got it's got uh, occurrences in Egypt. Have you have you come across this at all in your research into the Americas, the ancient peoples? No, but I've seen it um, on a temple in Etruria. And so, for those who are interested in that, I've got a Substack that explores all these old Etruscan simple. Uh, sites and you'll you will see that symbol pretty much everywhere so it is it's culturally it's a culturally diffused symbol no matter who created it what i'm interested in is who has it first who's got the oldest version of these things because that will tell us history when all the texts we're reading are possibly forgery and stuff right but archaeology and all this stuff it's another tool in the bag so you have a bunch of different um 
dots you can make. You're not just relying on language. You're not just relying on old texts. You're not just relying on archaeology. You're not just relying on, you know, religious customs. You, it's the overall picture that will get developed by exploring every avenue. And that's why I'm passionate about this, because I know there's people with skill sets outside of what we talk about, that if they have this knowledge, when they look at stuff, it'll, they'll be able to spot it in other areas of cultural diffusion. So I want to point out something interesting as a term of a language link that I didn't catch. That thank you to Old World Micmac, who appears to be familiar with the Orlinda. The Mergar Mergar ruins that this amulet is found from. That that name actually does sound a lot like Magyar, which is what the Orlinda in some of the passages is referring to as the the priests or the the magi. It's like a people. It's like a culture whose king was a king priest named Mayai or Magi. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get into them. But then we have to we have to point out that this symbol is the ichthys, which is the symbol for Jesus Christ. We covered this in more depth in a pretty recent vibrant. We got into this nicely, but do you find the symbol have that before slide Say again. So the the thing with this that people would say is, well, that has eight spokes, right? Because it refers to the equinoxes. But I was at, I was just curious. Do you have the actual slide from like that Merovingian uh, sarcophagus with the actual? Remember that I texted it to you this afternoon. It's okay if you don't. But the reason I wanted to bring that up um, is because before the ichthys, it's literally Jesus Christ. It's literally. It's a, it's a monogram. So you have the, uh, here it is. Yeah. So that would be, uh, uh, upside, uh, Sigma Omicron Upsilon Sigma. So that's the Jesus in Greek. And then you have the Christos or actually this, this is the real way you would do it. They're corrupted. The corrupted way is an I, uh, S T O S, right? So that's what you have. You put that together and you've got the monogram of Christ or the sun symbol. So like this, you can find as early as the fourth century. So if you want to claim that this is a different sun symbol, that's older, that these cultures are taking from you, you, the burden of proof is now on you to produce artifacts. And as destructive as anybody can be, you can't destroy everything guys. There's always going to be tons of shit that makes it through the cracks. That's just a fact. All right. I think we can move along, making good pace here. This is, I grabbed this from Dylan's Substack, where we can see how. That's from Astro Logos, just so everyone knows. That's on his uh, series, and it's all linked up in that. That I, I definitely want to give him credit for this stuff. Yeah, that's a it's a really good three video series. We might be able to talk to Asha Logos sometime in the future. So, if Old Frisian is this is all if right? If Old Frisian is the more ancient system, this Huel system is more ancient, uh, or if whoever created this manuscript was initiated into the priesthood system either way 
it has the consistency with the system because they have this word loga, meaning flame, which is going to correspond to lux in Latin, the CG interchange, meaning light, the Greek logos, the ancient Irish or Druidic log, which is the the fire, the god. Uh, Anything to add to that? Yes. So that logue in, in the Irish tradition is what they called down. It's like the spiritual fire of God, who to them was Esau, which is important because that's the plural of gods. The root of that would be the Gothic Isus, A-E-S-U-S, or As, right? Asgard. It's, these are names for Odin, which is the sun. And so I just want to harp on that. This you can find in old inscriptions in Irish culture. So the way I see this, if this stuff is legit, what you're seeing is it's going around Europe. And it's exactly what you would see based on the ancient Italians colonizing and peopling Britain. And then those people peopling Frisia and Scandinavia and Denmark, all those places via the ocean. And that's why I think you see this stuff, if it is in fact legitimate. And then there's the other question, just an open question that if there is this alt land or old land, is that an origin point for this system that maybe survivors jumped over to Italy from there? That's all beyond, you know, the realm of proving, <laughs> but that's possible as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, if there was this catastrophe that that happened in like the first millennium, there ought to be some geogra- uh, geological evidence of it. You know what I mean? So that's especially if the water levels rose. Yeah, then, and like the fire. I mean, look Germany. at look at the shape of Italy. If water levels rose, Italy could be like where the water didn't rise too. So it was a place to flee to. If that makes sense, that other surroundings would have been flooded. Yeah. And, uh, Lou nailed it, right. His, his name in Irish should be really close to low. He nailed it. That is the Phoenician Ericli or Ericli intrusion. And something I want to talk to you about just real quick about that symbol. So what that talking about Agnios. Yep. In that symbol, if it was just these four, you know, quote unquote, pagan holidays, right? Even though it's just the year, right? You'd have like the Yule, you'd have um, the mid dates between the seasons, whether it's like Ostera, oh, sorry, not Ostera is the, the equinox, but you'd have like Beltane, right? You'd have the, the summer solstice, right? Or if we were going out, let's go around this way. You'd have Beltane, uh, You'd have um, Lunasa, you know, then you have uh, Sawain before, you know, so these, these are important things, mid, mid-season dates, right? So the only thing that the Aura Linda, the sun sign ignores, because it's implied, would be the equinox. And that's, that's like really the only difference between that versus the eight-pointed star. So the mainstream prime suspect for the author of the Oralinda would be Francois Haverschmidt. And if that's true, 
it is a, a troubling possibility, you know, in terms of the intent behind the Orlinda. I know, again, you've done more looking into what the case is against it than I have. But, and, but to Jan's credit, Jan, he, the, the evidence supporting this is not that great either. No, so it's, it's very not. important that there's not there's but we would be remiss to not comment on it with our audience, you know, because this is like a very sharp group of people. They're going to look up this and they're going to see it was attributed to him. And they're going to be like, why didn't you bring up the fact that he's a member of the cult? <laughs> and so we're just letting everybody know we see what what's cult? out there. There's no, there's no cult. <laughs> it's just a cool thing to do when you're getting your photo taken, dude. No big deal. You, you conspiracy theorists. <laughs> well, we, you know, and I just want to acknowledge that. Like, we know guys, right? Like, you know, what's funny is I don't want to be. Christopher Walken's on here twice. It's just trying to make the list of. Oh, clear. this hand, it's hidden. Why? So, yeah, you know, screenshot that to show your mom and dad when Thanksgiving dinner comes around. Everybody, thank you. Okay. So now we can get into some of the some more of the text itself and you feel free to comment, jump in anytime. The first pages of this text appear to be written by whoever inherited it. So I'm just going to read that. It's not very long. It opens with my dear heirs for our beloved ancestors sake. And for the sake of our precious freedom, a thousand times I bid you dearest, Never to let the eyes of a monk come upon these writings. They utter such sweet, they utter sweet words, but they subtly distort all that concerns us Frias. To gain rich endowments, they collaborate with the puppet kings. These know that we are their greatest enemies because we dare speak to their people of freedom, justice, and the obligations of nobility. Therefore, they make certain to obliterate all traces of our ancestral heritage and what is left of our morals. My dear ones, I have visited their palace. If Ralda allows, and if we fail to make ourselves strong, they will exterminate us all. So this, like this right here is what made me immediately like turn my head. Like, hey, what's going on in this book? The whole Never let a never let the eyes of a monk come upon these writings. Um, that's what I'd be telling my my folks if I had you know some secrets or I had some truth. Absolutely. Like again, I understand. Like if this were legitimate, everything about it would make sense in that regard. However, one group of people, like a small family, would never be able to guard the history of an entire people. We just Culture doesn't work that way. Civilization doesn't work that way. It's this massive organism and you could stomp out one part of it and there's still going to be tons making it everywhere else, you know? And that's one of the things we see in Italy is a lot of authentic artifacts were destroyed because they already had the crucified savior in Italy, they already had use of the cross. They already had use of all these things that the church hijacked. So what they had to do is they had to, all the stuff that they couldn't destroy, they had to co-opt, right? 
the crucified savior, Deo Soli, the, the black Bambino, et cetera. So, you know, that's where I want to see more of that with the, this, uh, the subject matter of these texts. Yeah. I'd be interested to look into some of the buried temples like Gebekli Tepe. If there can be any connections made to things described in the Oralinda, because the, the idea here again is that the reason one copy of this manuscript existed would have to do with the people not being encouraged or prone to writing things, but that it was kept on the edifices of, of towns and bergs. The thing is, once people have a good spot for a settlement, they're not going to just, <laughs> it's not just going to like disappear overnight. That's really rare, you know, for it to be totally buried and covered up. What happens is people build on top of, build on top of. So maybe, maybe one of these days, one of these underground tunnel systems somewhere might turn up like some some writing on a wall that resembles the script in the Oralinda. And then that would do it. Like if we could find something like that, it would change the game in terms of how we looked at this text. Exactly. And my thing is like, I'm not trying to contradict anybody. I just go where the evidence goes and I want people you know, when it comes down to showing what, you know, we're playing a high stakes poker game, when it's time to show your hand to see who's going to take the pot down, we're going to see who's playing with what hand. And I don't want to see anybody calling my raises with seven, three off suit, you know, (laughs) but look at, look at also the leaning tower of Pisa, these megalithic structures, they sink into the earth, right? Because all this stuff that's going on, the earth is like alive, right? whether it's water going underneath it, whatever, whether it's drying up, they'll sink into the earth and become uninhabitable. So they have to like destroy them. You know, there's all kinds of reasons, especially in Italy, you look at, they would literally ritually destroy old towns and then ritually build them back up and found them. You know what I mean? So like when it was time and it's like, it's dilapidated and it needs to go, they would destroy it and put it on a location and then bury over it with, and then like, it was a whole, you know, spiritual, religious type of ceremony. So the author of the copy of the Orlinda that we have says to his descendants, he must guard the books with the, these books with body and soul. He refers to the flood being recent when this is written. Actually, there appear to be two authors in the first two passages here. One who did a, a recopying in 803 and then another doing a copying in 1256 AD. But essentially the idea is that this stuff was copied down or at least parts of this text are as old as when the last flood was. And that's another interesting part of this Oralinda that is definitely big in the esoteric side of the priestcraft that the flood isn't a one and done thing, the the deluge, but that it's a cyclical thing that does repeat over time. That was one of the things that was kind of confusing to me as well is like the way it's set up the 1256 AD one from Hedo over to Linda is, is before the one written by Lico over to Linda. So that that was a little confusing. So, but um, you know, there it's good that you differentiate between the what 
500, 600 years difference, you know, like that's pretty intense people. Like you got to remember that amount of time. How do I put this in perspective? The How many times people, would uh, the Gita's be recopied in 600 years? Would that be 6,000 recopied? I mean, 60 times that they'd be copied or? Well, no, in India, they, they have to do, do that every 10 years. Yeah, in India, every 10 years, they had to recopy stuff. Because the paper rots. Well, for Britain, the British people of the 17th century could no longer understand the British tongue from like Beowulf, like from like the days of Chaucer in the what 14th century it literally 300 years is like like it's like us trying to read the cursive of our founding fathers it can be it's really intense you know it's 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 just different so language changes really quick so that's very important to be mindful of yeah if we're talking about antiquity this great and that also could be part of the advantage of having a strict system of letters and language the way it is outlined here. Maybe there's something, maybe instead of there being some kind of uh, intrinsic truth to the letters and sounds and words and meanings being given by God, so to speak, maybe there's a dependability in the system that allows it to be less changeable over time. You know, we do we do see that with quote unquote dead languages that, that those aren't changing. Latin hasn't changed in the last 600 years. That Well, that's why Sanskrit remained perfect. Right. It was never a, a, a common language, just like Hebrew. So here we have another part of the text we're going to look at. This is uh, the the right side. You see the original manuscript let's see what do i want to read out of this part so we're getting into the primal history of the folk <laughs> the sort of mythical origin story cosmogony aspect wait for my link to open up here we go volk and folk right volkswagen exactly so this is saying it was free as day seven times seven years since Festa had been ordained as folk's mother, according to the will of Freya or Freya. So that's evidently Freya of the Norse mythology. I think what was interesting to me about this is this Festa character being like the, the high priestess of a sort compare that to the Vesta or Hestia, you know, the keepers of the, the flame. The possibly being, according to Jan Ott, this is also possibly the origin of Fosta or Fossetta from the Germanic tradition, one that I don't know a lot about. And the other thing that is interesting here is how Freya or Freya is calling to the high priestess from her watch star. That gives me big vibes of like watchers, <laughs> the idea of watchers. And, you know, I think that this may be, you know, whatever this is talking about, whatever, I know I keep, maybe I'm just going to stop giving the disclaimer of, is it real? Is it not? So we're going to just move from the, you know, we're going to talk about this from what it would mean if it was real, generally speaking. I'm just and real quick, last, I would ask somebody from the Netherlands, like you see Medea speak, 
right? That's not quite like, is that what is modern day uh, medemblik, M-E-D-E-M-B-L-I-K, which is in the Netherlands. Like that's, that's another thing is like a lot of the locations in the, this script, you can't get any corroboration of them anywhere else in any historical record. I, well, a lot of the ones I tracked down based on, usually based on what Jan asserted it to be linked to, I did, I do have some stuff in here that can point us to real places and some of the symbolism links or, uh, or linguistic links are there too. So they're, they're, I, <laughs> that's not a hundred percent true is what I'd say. I think some of this can. Okay. Be so what, in, when in history was Scandinavia called Schoonland? S-C-H-O-O-N-L-A-N-D. Like, are they just spelling Like, so that's like the type of things that I'm saying, like when, like if I don't want to hear an explanation, I want to see like an inscription. I want to see somewhere, some people referring, some culture referring to Scandinavia as Schoonland and what, what, what that dates to. I don't care about middle ages, right? I want to see this before the common era when this stuff would have been written. You know what I mean? That's where I'm at. That's, that's, that's why I'm like, that's that's my mentality from this stuff. I think if we maybe just chat, Gabe, 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 we've started. You can join now. <laughs> we'll see if he jumps in. I know the chat's really missing him. <laughs> he brings the fun. I'll try to be fun, more fun for Gabe's sake. Okay, so, oh man, I want to. I kind of want to just go deep into what the text says. Hopefully that's what people are here for. That's what I'm here for. So just got to get this link open. All right. Ralda, who is holy, good, and eternal, created the potential. Then came time, and time wrought all things, even the very earth herself. Earth bore all grasses, herbs, and trees and cherished creatures and all dreaded creatures. All that is good and dear, she brought forth by day. All that is evil and fearsome, she brought forth by night. After the twelfth Yule feast, she bore three girls. Lydda, or Lydia, was of glowing hot, Fenda of hot, and Freya of warm substance. So it's like extreme heat, moderate heat, low heat. Upon their birth, Ralda fed them with his breath so that mankind should be bound to him. Soon after they matured, they began to find delight and fulfillment in their dreams. Ralda's odd. <laughs> it worked. Gabe's here. <laughs> oh. Hey, are you, are, you, are you reading from a slide that, because I don't think that what you're reading from is currently on screen. But... No, I didn't want to put just a wall of text on oh, screen. I'm oh, reading okay. from the Orlinda itself. Okay. From this section. Woo! <laughs> Good to see you, brothers. Welcome, buddy. So let me finish up this part. Ralda's odd is said to have entered into Lydda, Lydia, Finda, and Freya. And so each bore 12 sons and 12 daughters, twins, each Yuletide. Of these, all mankind has come. So this is a very similar type of creation myth, but just in a condensed form. So some of uh, Jan Ott's notes about it, he points out that Odd, which again, Odin has got that same root, Odd, O-D, that Ralda 
Rolda's odd entered into these three daughters that allowed them to bear children. He says odd is apparently a term related to fertilization, possibly related to the middle Dutch uh, Hoden, which is a testicle or Odevar or Odevar, which is a stork associated with the delivery of babies. Also the Greek word Odis can mean birth. Luther's Bible Martin Luther used Odom for the word referring to God's life-giving breath he breathes into Adam. But Ralda had already fed Earth's daughters with his breath, Adama, when they were born. So I'd have to look up into the actual Oralinda manuscript, but I think that it's using the word Adama or Adama for the breath of, of Ralda going into these. Uh, Adonis. Adonis, Adonis, Adonai, my lord. In the also, prose Edda, Yod. my Snorri Sturluson, Oder or Other, is mentioned as Freya's husband and father of two daughters. So, very interesting that that. Can, can we talk about this picture? Because you can't, you can't expect me to. St- I'm like wriggling in my seat here. Oh yeah, bud. There's a lot to talk about with this picture. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> Who's well, that? <laughs> Who are we looking at? I'll let you go first then, and we'll talk about it more. Well, so you, 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 that constant theme of reckoning the year, well, which royal star reckons that year? That would be Fomalhaut, the fish's mouth, right? That is the southern fish that Aquarius pours his urn into. So going back to the Yule, right? What, what is Aquarius? John, Jan Uary. It's all there. You know, uh, you know what I'm seeing? I'm wondering, I uh, just recently learned about the word for the Ukrainian uh, language is in bird speak. It's, uh, its term is um, nightingale. And here I see the orb of Urania, a sphere or an egg in one hand, the left hand, which would be your right brain. So that would be the night. And then I see a ten gallon bucket. I see the night ten gal is Which what is I kind of like the cornucopia, right? Cornu horn. Nice. Yeah. I see the age of Aquarius uh, finishing off the age of Pisces. Right on, yeah, buddy. He's got a bucket, and he's standing on a fish. Right, and the bucket could even be a uh, one eighty over there with a uh, crator. You know, the sacred chalice vessel cup. So there's here, here is a, a decent example of the possibility that the eight spoke and the six spoke could have some interchangeability to it. Now, obviously, like somebody's in drawing and engraving in some old grimoire isn't evidence of something, neither is a more modern statue, but this is the same Crodo Germanic deity, one that I haven't really heard of, but definitely a saturn chronos type archetype um we could you know we could get into it a little more i have a link to the wiki page about crodo said to be similar to the roman god saturn (laughs) modern historians characterize the figure of crodo as a fake who knows why that would be the first illustration that i had up 
is said to have come from uh, or is from a book that is dated to 1492. So if this is the age of Aquarius stepping on the age of Pisces, that's a pretty damn long time ago to be putting that idea out into the zeitgeist. Well, I got to support something that Gabe brought up about the cup of salvation and sin. So if you look at the bones of Crodo, you got the, the he, you've got the row, and that D and T interchange, which interchanges with S, right? Listen, mistletoe. We don't say mistletoe. We don't say listen. We say epistles, not epistles, right? Well, this is the sacred name of Christ. You will see it on the breast of the Pope on uh, the Lat- one of the versions of the Latin Vulgate in the title page. And you will also see under it the sign of Libra, which is the sun crossing over the autumnal equinox or is being crucified, which is at the same time they're pressing wine and the same part of the region of the sky that Gabe was talking about, crater. So Gabe, since you're here and we're all so stoked about it, the chat was literally chanting, Gabe, Gabe, Gabe. I don't know. We did that. I don't know if you're listening to the stream, but we did that and then boom, you popped in. It was within moments of me beginning the chant. Okay. <laughs> so it I, I actually, I was not listening at all. I have been on a high grade synchronicity for days. So it just makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, I want to, I know that this Orlinda stuff is a little newer for you as well. Dylan's looked at it the longest, most scrutinizing way, but mm-hmm. do you have some thoughts to lead in with in terms of your impressions on it thus far? Uh, well, yes, as soon as I uh, heard that that was what we were talking about, the six spoke wheel comes out, uh, it, it, it explodes into my consciousness in a, in a massive way. Um, uh, I'm very much, I had just the day before deciphered the flower of life out of the, uh, what's that fellow's name? Uh, Andrew Oliver, Anthony Oliver. His, oh, his, ridiculous his, Richmond, his, north of Richmond. Yeah. So he, he pulls Psalms 37. 37 is the Mason Dixon line. He's talking about Richmond, north of Richmond. He's double toxifying masculinity with those lyrics. Doesn't Rich, he like have bitch Rich, tits and stuff? Rich, talking about cultural oh, Marxism. Yeah. Big time. Rich man, north of rich man, double taxifying the man, you know, all this man bullshit. But what gets me He's such is, a conservative hero. Why does he get so much media coverage from the left? <laughs> <laughs> well, his, uh, the Bible verse that he read from actually draws a flower of life. He's talking about put the sword and you pivot and you swing the sword and then in the, and you cut away the straight lines and you got the ribs and the, the curvature and then you're... Uh, and then and then in the end, it literally says like, and then you incinerate the flowers into smoke. So it's like so spelltastic. It's profound. But what gets me is the six spoked wheel that we're looking at here, right? This is going to be Tifereth. And over his shoulder while he's singing into everybody's heart chakra is a tree fort. Tree fort is an anagram for Tifereth. He is literally hitting us in the in the heart chakra, as far as I can tell, on the tree of well, life. And Tifereth is strength and masculinity, or beauty and masculinity, my bad. Beauty and masculinity. Right. And it's in a tree fort, which is a battle call. It's a bat box. What is it, Hect? 
Six. Yes, yes, yes. L for Latin, G for Greek. Right. And last week and just last week, I found this this cipher in our countdown. Sixes are are loyalists. They're in this Tifereth come to them, come together. Mambo Jumbo. The Enneagram. You're referring to the Enneagram. Yes, the Enneagram. Yes, the loyalists with the shadow of fear fight for threat to one's hero. Sixes fight for a threat to one's hero is a battle call that is hiding inside of our numbers. And it just makes perfect sense that I decipher that when he's busting out his Tifereth magical mumbo jumbo with his little song that I loved. I absolutely loved his song. But we're looking at country music during a terrifying attack on the heart chakra of America. Guess what? Hawaii lines up perfectly with the Las Vegas shooting. It all lines up. It's all the same harmonics and the same frequency. So uh, classic weaponized counterculture hits you right in the heart. You know, you think, oh, finally, our our people, they're rising up. But then you got to take a double take and go, yo, this dude was a zero to hero in a day. That doesn't happen. Um, Not on today's Internet. That's some controlled opposition just for sure. There's so you got to look at it sideways at that point. You know, I, lo- I love the feels. I love the feels. And I drank them in. It was like a fresh water in the desert. It was so good. But then I'm thinking to myself, like analytically, feeling is leisure. Feeling is leisure. And so his opening line about I'm working hard all day, you know, he, there, he just cornered every other psychological option you have. If you've been working hard all day, well, now we are in leisure and leisure is love. It is, it is your heart affiliation center. He just, he just honed right into Tiferet. And this is just art craft. It's, it's beautiful, but uh, at the same time, it's dangerous, you know, with the bat L cry. What was he, what was he doing all day? <laughs> Lamenting. <laughs> hey, wow. Mario said something good a while back too. Cause like, you remember before the, um, before like they had all these like silly ass things like Uranus and uh, Neptune in the Zodiac Aquarius was ruled by Saturn. Right. So that's interesting too, because who else, what other sign does he exalt in Libra, which is that judgment. Oh, right. And okay. 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 Yep. Going okay. back to your creator stuff. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. So uh, I'm looking at time measure of of art. I'm looking at hexameter, right? I'm looking at these uh, all these different. Well, it turns out artistically there is a strong precedent for hexameter in particular to be weaponized, and with a specific flavor of intention when you use this kind, this numerological frequency. We'll just say the six of it all. And that is to expose the vulnerability of the person you're engaging. That's to take their private side, their heart, and turn it and invert it into the public. So it's exposed for everybody to, so you're transparent. There's no privacy anymore. Uh, Your your data is clear and safe and effective. 15 man nut cities. All right, Brant done. I'm going to take, I'm taking this back to Ralda. Let's let's see here. I'd like to read the teachings of Ralda section from Orlando. Did you put together why there's like a dash between it? That's something we should have asked Jan because I know they do that with several names and there's different like 
R W R must mean something because it's spelled for the audience in the text. It's yeah, they put like that period text. right. It's like W R Alda, right? And so Minerva is spelled like this: Min Erva. And so I forgot. I already forgot because we'll have to see what Jan introduces. But this like allegedly translates to my life or my prosperity there's something i forget what it was my my something so i wonder what this is my you know all the i don't know but i just i, I don't know man because i'm looking at pages from the manuscript right now and it's not dashed or spaced at least all the time maybe it's in there maybe it sometimes is but yeah i'm looking at the, the 1876 version or whatever that's on the internet so who the hell knows oh yeah the Jan Atoma. You want to look at the Jan Ott version. <laughs> right, but Jan Atma's version is the one that's got all these claims around it. You know what I mean? Oh, you know absolutely. I mean? Like, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Like, the, came out the, the one gate, that I would but... like, like to like, go with is definitely Jan Ott. But just for the sake of, like, all the questions that I've been getting over the past year about it, it's referring to that one. So I wanted to point out something funny, though, about Crodo here, the Germanic Kronos. Or Frodo. I know. It sounds like Frodo. He's standing on a perch. That's the ne- the type of fish that he's standing on. <laughs> it's puntastic, man. These puntheists. Puntheists. <laughs> so there's not a lot to the teaching. Can I give you guys some feedback? You guys got to explain this stuff because like, I have to watch something that Gabe's on like three times because Gabe always drops these amazing knowledges but or these little nuggets but he doesn't ever elaborate and what you just said is hilarious but it took me a little bit to get it explain you know what i mean you gabe gets it right away because you could it i'm like the special kid i'm like i I rolled up here on the short bus motherfuckers you gotta slow it down well did you catch his uh six five four three two one six five four threat to one's hero Or zero. I didn't put the zero in there. That's that's yeah. the kind of thinking that we got Gabe on a team for. Yeah, man. Out of the box it's, thinking. Yeah, but explain that pun. Explain the pun for the people. Yes. Puntheist. Like I've, I've been thinking about oh, it. Good I, I thought you were saying church, like perch. Church. He's standing on the church. No, he's standing yeah, on so a I fish mean, called a perch. No. The fish so is see, a, a perch is a no, type of fish, and a perch is. is something you stand on. It's hilarious. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so I didn't even. So there you go. I'm going to pull that in. I'm going to mute priest, myself. The whole thing about the priesthood is that they are pun theists. As Gabe pointed out, pantheists, puntheists, it's all in the puns. That's where you got to read between the lines with this stuff, because that's where the secret message is to the initiate passing to other initiates. Big time. Yeah, man. And it's even, you know, we did this the other day where we were talking about the fish hat is capiche, right? (laughs) Capiche. And so it's, it's asking if you understand I love it. But yeah, um, I had a metaphor on my mind just yesterday about this pantheism. You know, let's like say, let's take uh, let's take a uh, a bunch of boats, maybe five or six boats and each boat rhymes with the boat next to it. So they're all a rhyme. Like, let's use the word uh, letter or later or uh, I don't know, ladder, a ladder, you know, all these things even ludicrous, you know, let's put them all in a boat. And then we're going to say the same word with the same amount of force to all the boats. But the boat that everybody thinks we're talking about with that word 
that has that word spelled perfectly is going to be pushed further by the wind of the sound that we're making with the intention we're trying to aim for. But here's the thing. All the other boats that were not intended when we use the word, they also get nudged. They also get pushed a little bit adrift into the potentiality field. And when you look back and you add up the distance that the word that they used, that you thought they meant, how good was its distance? How far did that boat get? Well, when you add it up against some of the other boats, another image starts to come to mind. And that is that nebulous realm of this pun theology where you realize like, oh, they're talking around the truth. And all these other ships are getting way further mileage out of the words that they're using. And the word that everybody else attached to is kind of the, it's kind of the short bus. Gabe, you need to clip that. But real talk, you could make a children's book with that story to make it learning language fun. Don't forget what you just said. I'm serious. I'm not. Isn't that, isn't that a good one? Eleven. In the, in the stream, <laughs> if I could oh draw God. better than like stick figures, I would be like, I would make my own books like that. Like literally like simplify it for children, because a lot of this stuff is really enjoyable to learn. It's just you have to have a reason. And if you don't have a reason to learn this stuff, then you don't give a shit about it. You know. I love it. Punky. <laughs> totally punky. So the other thing about the Seder figure with the six spoked wheel, it is interesting how if you look at Saturn in the telescope, it's got the hexagram or hexagon symbol on its south pole. I've never looked, but you know, that's the word on the street. But okay, now that this seems like a good time to do it, I wanted to read the actual sections or at least some of it, the uh teachings the primal teachings about ralda because one of the things that orlinda asserts is that spirituality or knowledge of the divine is meant to be very simple and not a convoluted system of metaphors and allegories to you know that you need an intermediary for or a translator for to help you understand and help you connect with the concept or the spirit of god so in the whole script of the orlinda the sections that are like the teachings, spiritually speaking, or about God is very brief. And it is entirely possible that we could read that right now. And if you guys bear with me and we'll all be privy to what allegedly these ancient Frisians or even, you know, post-Atlanteans or Atlanteans believed about the divine, about the creator. So the first section starts with, Hail to all children of Freya who love that which is good. Through them, bliss shall come to earth. Learn and proclaim to the nations. Ralda is the most ancient or primordial. Over oldest is what is used for primordial. Over dash oldest. For he created all things. So this version of Ralda is the most ancient and primordial. It actually has the dash between the WR and the ALDA. But the rest of this section doesn't have the dash. Ralda is all in all, for he is eternal and infinite. Ralda is present everywhere, yet nowhere can he be seen. Therefore, his being is called spirit. And that we can see of him, 
all that we can see of him are the created beings that come and go again through his life. Because from Ralda, all things proceed, and to him they return. Out of Ralda comes both the beginning and the end. All things merge into him. Ralda is the only almighty being, because all other power is borrowed from him and returns to him. From Ralda, all forces are derived, and all forces return to him again. Therefore, he alone is the creative being, and nothing is created outside of him. Ralda set eternal principles, or Iwa, into all that was created, and there are no good commandments unless they be founded upon these principles. That sounds like a conscience. But although all is in all, but although all is in Ralda, the wickedness of people is not of him. Wickedness comes from sloth, heedlessness, and stupidity. Therefore, it can harm the people, but never Ralda. Ralda is wisdom. And the Iwa that he established, or the laws, are the books from which we can learn. No wisdom can be found or gathered outside of them. People may see many things, but Ralda sees all things. People may learn many things, but Ralda knows all things. People may unlock many things, but to Ralda, all is laid open. People are male and female, but Ralda creates both. People love and hate, but Ralda is only righteous. Therefore, Ralda alone is God, and there are no gods outside of him. With the circling of the Yule, that's the six-spoked uh, wheel, Gabe, the Yule, all creation alters and changes, but only God is unchanging. Since Ralda is God, he cannot change, and since he endures, only he is being and everything else, emergence. So that's the first section of teachings is straight up the doctrine of emanations. And, you know, if you get into some like deep esoteric Hinduism, it's exactly what they'll say about Krishna or Brahma. You know, in my own personal deep psychedelic experiences, you know, my, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a similar deal as what, Dylan's holding right. up my own like the deep, three portions of the year, my, my own personal deep, like psychedelic experiences. The furthest I've gone into expanded consciousness states, dimethyltryptamine, et cetera. That is the sense that I've got every time that there's just, there's one life. Everything is an aspect of one thing that's alive and is always alive. And even you know, even that sense of the sick, cyclical nature of the wheel-like nature of it, and my farthest out trips back when I used to experiment with those things, I would ha- I would be up there or out there, or whatever, and I'd have this sense like, "Oh shit, I know what day it is. I forgot what day it was," but not the day like Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, like the day of Brahm or like the big. Part, like what big cycle we're in like oh we're repeating this one now <laughs> you know like it's hard to explain hard to bring it back down to here but there is you know something about the teachings that are described here the simplicity of it that is accessible to human beings in you know expanded consciousness states and to that i like that's one thing i like about this 
All right, you guys want to take a swing? No, I'm ready. Keep going, man. Well, I got I got a couple things in my notes. Uh, for one dollar, 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 <laughs> we're all the dollar. You know, is the and this is like the all father. This is what greases the wheels. And that image is kind of like the one that you brought up, Dylan. Kind of intended the wheel of time. Yeah, it makes me think of a sand dollar. You know that that little etch inside of a sand dollar looks so much like that. In the Dogon, allegedly taught the you know the laws of equivalent exchange. You know, there's all this mythology about like doing trade with these sea peoples or whatever that is, which is kind of D-A-G is fish, right? Dogon, Dagon. Right. And so there's that point of exchange, like the fact that the kid was standing on a fish is almost like telling you that at the shoreline, you know, where these tithes, the tithes become a tide. You know, I've done really uh, lovely rituals. Remember, I told you I had a, a aunt who was a witch. And we did a ritual when I was really young where we brought all of our uh, a wish, like something that we wanted to give away uh, uh, to put on the ocean at nighttime and to leave just outside of the reach of the waters and then to turn your back and not look and not look and just go home and just leave it there in the sand. Don't even watch the waters take it. And then you come back in the next morning and see if your if your wish worked. And I was like, wow, that's really just a cool little ritual, you know, harnessing the natural cycles of the realm in order to fill, fill, fill what you want to see. Well, then I find out that the Dogon taught people that in the ancient days. And like, you know, I thought it was just fun and games, but like, that's high magics. All right, we're ready for more, it looks like. Well, this is a bit longer of a section. The second part of the primal teachings. It's going to refer to Finda's folk, which, if this is based in any reality, this would actually be the Phoenicians. We're talking about the Finns, the Phoenicians here. The uh, less less honorable, supposedly, or the le- like less, you know, stuck to tradition and, and uh, purity, if you will. So, among Finda's folk, there are pretentious men who by their over-inventiveness, have grown so vain as to convince themselves and their initiates that they are the best part of Ralda, that their mind is the best part of Ralda's spirit, and that Ralda can only think through the help of their brains. The notion that every creature is part of Ralda's infinite being, this they have acquired from us, but their false reasoning and unrestrained pride have caused them to stray from the righteous path. If their mind were like Ralda's spirit, then Ralda would be very stupid, instead of being sensible and wise, for their mind is constantly occupied with making appealing images which they afterwards worship. So, you know, there is, a, there is an echo of the whole heal the world ideology you know the certain tiny there's a word for it with a certain particular sect that wears a tiny hat i'm I'm blanking on the name of the word of uh the heal the world idea but imagine all the people (laughs) that people that uh you know that raul can only think through them or that god can only think through them this is 
you know, if there was a way that this could get corrupted, that's a good first step, you know, for it to be corrupted. Like the sort of hubris idea of that we're the image of God or that then, you know, the next step is like that we're God or that we're gods and how (laughs) that goes to dark places. But I'll continue. Well, real quick, though, real quick, unless Gabe wanted to go, because it pertains to the origin. After you. Okay, well, I was just going to say, in the book, it says, after the 12th Yule Feast, right, she brought forth three maidens, right? So these three maidens are the triplicity of the sun, Lita, out of fierce heat, Finda, out of strong heat, Freya, out of moderate heat, right? So uh, Finda was yellow, and according to Samish, Islet Samish, in his antiquities of Britain, the Phoenicians word for yellow or saffron was Celta, which is why they called the Celts Celti because they had yellow hair. And it said it was like, it was like the mane of a horse. And you'll see that horse on the sun symbolism as well with all these coins like Cuno Bellinus. Uh, and, um, basically, uh, she is kind of like the summer sun, right? Her characteristics are regal, right? She's, she's treacherous. She's got, she's into violence. She's vain. She's full of herself, you know, there's a, we'll, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that a little more in depth because I want to go through those passages as well. And I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you brought that up though. And then somebody in the chat, thank you, Orphic Omelette, the Hebrew phrase for heal the world because the world is broken is tikkun olam. And, you know, that idea the world is broken and needs healing is where we get the dark simulation theory, Gnosticism, demiurge bullshit eventually. You know what, though? And remember that okay, OL, if people want remember the OL, home oak, olam. I, <laughs> that, it's there. That's there. Now I'm not I'm not like judging people who are in the the cave mentality. I'm in the matrix. I gotta break free. Don't go into the light. The world is a trap. It's a loose factory. Whatever you know. I love you, people. It's okay if you think that way. I did have a tuning session with somebody this week who said that our talking about that stuff got her out of the cave mentality. The exit the cave world is a prison mentality. And that it really turned her life in a, a positive direction to get out of that. Like a lot of things started going better for her to change that belief. You know, take it how you will. <laughs> don't don't shoot the messenger. I'm not not victimizing you for your belief in that, but it's it's you get to choose what you believe in. The cave of Brahm, winter solstice, the Yule feast. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that Yule is kind of in the word yellow. Right. Uh, And also, uh, I'm pretty sure the Yule is uh, that is the name of the um, founder of Yale. And the Yule is a type of a goat, a very choice sacrificial goat uh, and is found on the devil card number 15. Again, uh, having a strong six uh, affiliation to this word, the Yule goat. And then there's Eulus, son of Ennius, uh, I should say, from the Trojan Wars, right? And according to the guy who compiled the poetic Eddas, right, or whatever they're called, the prose Eddas from Iceland, uh, Eulus 
right? That's where Julia, the Yuli tribe comes from. Well, in Norse, it's Vidar or Vitar. It's the same dude and son of Odin. So Aeneas is Odin. Wow. Wow. Okay. On on Aeneas. Yes. So this is um, earlier when we mentioned this over eldest, you know, like already born. Somebody mentioned that even the word like uh, uh, NATO in Italian, doesn't that mean already born? NATO? Yeah, because NATO NATO charts, right? Yes. So already born in NATO. NATO is, is called Wotan in Europe. They reversed the whole word. And so Wotan is the North Atlantic Treaty. And this is like the Atlanteans. They're very specific about that. A, they tried to let China in at the table and they're like, they're not in the Atlantic. They can't be at this table. So it's very regionally exact and very specific. They're being impeccable at a very high level. Dude, you're right. They call it Otan. It's called Otan. Now look up Carl Jung's uh, writing on uh, the wild hunt. Uh, this guy painted a, a painting of um, of Hitler with the mustache riding on horseback on a wild hunt the year Hitler was born. And then they propagandized him with his little mustachio caterpillar, the caterpillar you're initiated. I smell something cooking here. Uh, and they, they propagandized him to look like Woden. And, and so Woden, me and Mr. Woden. Mustache and the Boot Boys had a lot of were made to be connected to this Oralinda big time as a way to discredit the Oralinda, possibly, or they just latched onto it because of the way they interpreted it or some other reason. Right. And we get and it. We'll with, see. I just want to say when uh, we get closer and closer to these, the center of this wheel, it's they're there's less and less groups, but we're not ever really sure if there's only one group we're talking about. You know, I do know that there's forms of Norse uh, runic that is like the forbidden stuff that like, you know, it's like you don't go to that part of the prison kind of thing. (laughs) All right. I'm going to go more into the second part of the teachings. So it says Finda's folk are a wicked folk. For although their pseudo-wise men convince themselves that they are divine beings, they have created false divinities for the uninitiated, everywhere proclaiming that these divinities have created the world with all that is therein, greedy divinities full of envy and wrath who demand to be honored and served by the people, who desire blood and sacrifice and demand rich offerings. But these vain false men, who allow themselves to be called gods, servants, or priests, claim and collect and receive everything on behalf of divinities that do not exist to keep it for themselves. They do all this with an easy conscience as they imagine themselves divine and answer to no one. If there are any who see through their tricks and try to expose them, these are caught by their henchmen and burnt for their heresy, always with solemn ceremonies in honor of their false divinities. But in truth, it is only to protect the priesthood. 
in order that our children may be armed against their idolatrous doctrines, the duty of the maidens is to make them learn by heart the following. When I hear the maidens referred to in this text, I am thinking the Sibyls, you know, or what precursor thing to the Sibyls there was, especially because of how concealed everything about the Sibyls seems to be. So the, the duty of the maidens is to make the children learn by heart the following. Ralda existed before all things, and after all things he shall endure. Ralda is thus eternal, and he is infinite. Therefore, nothing exists outside of him. From Ralda's life sprang time and all things, and his life takes time and all things away. These facts must be made clear and manifest to all who are wise, so that they can explain and demonstrate it to others. Once that has been understood, say further, Regarding our physical dimension, we are thus part of Ralda's infinite being, as is the physical dimension of all creation. Yet, regarding our appearance, our characteristics, our mind, and our thoughts, these do not belong to the being. All these are fleeting phenomena that appear through Ralda's life. <clears throat> which appear as they are through which appear as they are through his wisdom and not otherwise but because his life is perpetually progressing nothing can remain stationary therefore all creatures change in their position their appearance as well as their minds therefore neither earth herself nor any creature may ever say i am but rather I was. Likewise, no man may ever say, I think, but only I thought. The youth is larger and changed from when he was a child. He has other desires, passions, and ways of thinking. The man and father is and thinks differently from when he was a youth. The same applies to the elderly. Everyone knows this. Since everyone thus knows and must acknowledge that one is continuously changing, one must also acknowledge that one changes every instant. Also, whilst one says, I am, and that one's thoughts change whilst one says, I think. Thus, instead of unworthily imitating the loath loathsome fendas and saying, I am, or even, I am the best part of Ralda, Yea, through us alone can he think. We proclaim the following always and everywhere that it needs to be said. We, free as children, are emergences through Ralda's life. In the beginning, mean and bare, but always becoming and advancing towards perfection, without ever becoming as good as Ralda himself. Our mind is not Ralda's spirit. It is merely a semblance of it. When Ralda created us, he lent us, through his wisdom, a brain, senses, memory, and many good qualities. By means of these, we can consider his creations and his primordial, Iwa, laws. From these, we can learn, and about them we can speak, all and only for our own benefit. If Ralda had not given us any senses, we would know nothing, and we would be yet more helpless than a jellyfish that is driven forth by the ebb and flow. So that's the that's basically the 
That's was that a jellyfish at the end of the afterbirth? <laughs> the Did we have a jellyfish born yeah. at the end of all that as an afterbirth? Yeah, buddy. That's the placenta marking on the timestamp. <laughs> wow. There was a lot of sacred ritual and observance in all of that. That was that was really something. Like they're laying down a philosophy with like, you know just different terms they're just using like they're describing the dialectic i think that's another thing this that you know the they call it the heideggerian dialectic but this is just where it came from i'm i'm really intrigued by what kind of like consciousness shift maybe would come about if we stopped you know if we changed the way we spoke so that we weren't doing all this, I am this, I am that type of identification. I am happy. I am sad. You know, some languages already do that. They'll say, I am having sadness or, you know, sadness is on me or happiness is on me. But they're not saying I am this. You know, that <laughs> if there's corruption of language in the mix with this conversation, it could very well be that part of what causes the downfall of a society in some kind of subtle way as in the narrowing or, or corrupting of consciousness, it could be the structure of language and how people are trained to talk because that's how they're trained to think. And, you know, to me, that rings true that we're, that we're not, (laughs) as soon as you say, I am this, the next moment has already come. As soon as you say, I think this, the next thought has already come. It's never, you know, we, (laughs) we are not the like eternal present moment, uh, eternal infinite thing that that we are all sensing and feeling you know that this the life of nature or the life of god or this ralda as it's called is uh is happening in front of us we're we're in a dialogue with it of sorts you know for mm-hmm. sure but it's obvious that life is bigger than any one person you know it's obvious that there's a corruption in the idea of idols and worshiping deities that you need an intermediary for and everything that comes about from the priesthood. I really like that passage. So, you know, a good, a good religion or a good spirituality ought to be pretty much that simple and Spartan and, and like, you know, minimal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, because then from there people can draw their own understandings and wisdom out of it. As long as they know, like, okay, here's the boundaries of like, if you go too far this direction, you're going to start getting crazy. Right. (laughs) I, I like it. And thank you, Bob Sia, for that nice super chat. Bobcha. Bobcha. Thank you, Dylan, for the correction. Really nice super <laughs> chat. Yeah. You know, uh, I like Old World Micmac's comment here. I want to highlight, uh, you know, I am in French is je suis. And it's uh, it's very significant that it's the I that you remove from that from that phrase that makes it into the Jesus, you know. And it's it's just something to ponder, like, you know, the concept of the object and the subject and culturally it means different things in different continents, you know. And like uh, when I was going through the symposium, they literally are talking about wouldn't it be great if we could build an entire community of people who are like so interdependent on what other people think about them that they're just completely locked into this uh, into a, 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 a fortified brotherhood. And then they could be our warriors for us. 
and we'll put them out in the perimeter and they'll do all the fighting and we can live in the center. So they're literally describing the matamatakoi, the, the, the profane, the uninitiated outer ring being like so codependent mentally. But I think they're literally talking about manipulating their language so that their thoughts only work that way. And so when we look at the French, we're like, look at these assholes. Look at these galls. Look at how, Dude, that's how slavery works. You have to ha- control the language of the slave. Yes. And it, it narrows their imagination. Yeah. So I didn't I mean think, to stop you. I just wanted no, no, to like, I, yeah, buddy. I, I'm just kind of getting a hold of that. And like, I also, in, with that in mind, that like social engineering literally works our language and the way we think in maybe unproductive ways when we come together unless you work hard at it you know you can you can always get better but then i also want to put that next to i've learned that there's a awesome theory i think that people who have multiple languages uh when they're young they are also developing other uh talents and even to the extent that it registers is almost a different persona and that is something that gets really weird and crazy. Some people can handle it. They've got to be careful here. But having different languages does give you a very broad worldview. And you can start to see like, oh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. The, the, the NATO and the Wotan of it all is like you kind of got to see everything from both sides, you know, uh, to get the full picture of what's being disclosed. So someone in the chat a while back asked if we could address um, Nihelena or Nihelenia and uh, Minerva and stuff. We'll address that with Jan, so stay tuned. But it does dovetail into something. Chance, I, I posted in our chat. I don't know if you see it. If you don't want to pull it up, don't by all means. But it's important to all this stuff because where I'm coming with like, if you zoom in to the left, you'll see this. This symbol was used by Italians, ancient Italians and Greeks long before anyone else. And now what I'm going to show you is a region where the Nega inscriptions uh, in the Gova were found. And if you. And this is in Sibaris? That's, that's India. Yeah, that's Italia, uh, Italy. And so the reason this is significant is because all of the actual archaeological evidence shows this coming from the Mediterranean up. Now, can you pull me up real quick so people can see that just for a little bit? The Nega helmets that we've covered, they're found. Look, you see it. It's like basically at the border of Austria, Hungary. And for the longest time, they thought this was the proto-runic system. But you'll see it right there. I can read Etruscan. I can read this, right? That is that is that first letter is an H, but it's not even an Etruscan H. It's a freaking Phoenician H. Go look up what a Phoenician H looks like, right? They erroneously transliterate that sign, right? Kind of looks like uh, was it the Lieben Lieben rune or whatever? That is equivalent to the Greek CH. So Hitler even renamed this town after after. Harigas, right? H-A-R, that's an R, I. This is a C-H, Harikas. Not to be confused, because if it was supposed to be pronounced by a G, like a G, it would have been written in Etruscan like that or like that, right? Because the C and uh, K and G interchange. Now, the reason this is significant. What's, what did he call the town? Harigas. It sounds like Hagia. Like Hari, yeah, yeah I, I've said this to you one day uh, via text. And um, 
Harigas, right? And then T-E-I, that's the uh, diagamma, right? So it's like a V. Teva, which is basically Deva. And then there's three little slashes here that I don't know what it says. And this is allegedly an I and a P. But I can't make heads or tails of it without seeing it in person. But the point is, is the runes come from Clusium, which make their way up to the Venetian, the Venetian, the Rhyetic, which they're thinking now this is. And I'm telling you, everything on in the record shows that it's coming from the south up. It's not coming from the north down. Even the urn culture, if you look up the status quo with urn culture, they'll try to tell you like, oh, it's evidence of culture coming downward from the north. Not in Italy. In Italy, urnfield culture goes from the south up. So how is that possible? Well, look at a map of Scandinavia, Britain, the Iberian Peninsula in Italy, and the type of people bringing that, the Etrusco-Phoenicians, the maritime empire that we've been harping on. And the reason I want to bring this up is because just like with Minerva, someone's asking about Minerva, this is an Etrusian deity. So when you see it in this spelled M-I-N-E-R-A, a V-R-A, that's Latinized. They wouldn't have spelled it like that. It would have been um, M-E-N, and we'll go into that, not to slow it down. It'll, it's it's M-E-N-R-V-A in Etrusian. So going back to what I said, playing this poker game where everybody's calling, the river has come, put your final bets. If you're going to call, I'm calling, by the way, because I've got a monster hand. I'm calling. I want to see your cards. Where are the artifacts supporting this? Not only that, things would have had to change geographically so much. I don't know if people realize what surviving at 60 degrees north latitude in winter is like. I'm at 50 degrees north latitude. You do even one night in winter unprepared, you're not seeing daylight. You will freeze within hours. So these people were not inhabiting these regions as far back as this is claimed to be written year round. What were they doing? They were going there fishing at first rate until you develop the technology to survive in those harsh winters, like the clothing, like all that stuff. I'm not buying that this is coming from there. I'm not buying that the fins are coming from even further north from some distant continent that was submerged unless you can show. And this is the unless if you can show that that was like more like, you know, the north was more like a tropical paradise 2000, 3000 years ago. Yeah. I'm all about it. I'm, I will get on board and will champion as hard as I am about mm-hmm. this coming from the south up. But the runes come from Italy, specifically Etruscan, Etruria, Clusium. That's the city. I've written articles on it. And every serious scholar will admit this. And when you show me this and say it's proto-runes and I'm just looking at it, I'm like, well, there's Phoenician and it's Etruscan. Mm-hmm. And it, because it's got this he... That's a late attrition. Like if you go, um, this will take two forms. You'll see it like this on the inscriptions, but you also see it like this. So if you go look up Karun, just like type mm-hmm. this into, um, into like, sir, it's, it's the Greek Karun, but intrusion, it's Karun. Yeah. Look at it written in the wall. The CH will be, it'll look like this. So that's how I know it's that. It's not a G. You shouldn't be transliterating that as a G. Okay. And again, this is why language is so important. And this is why, in my opinion, I've spent so much time on it because it is the death knell of whatever you, you can't get shit by somebody who knows what he's looking at. 
Yeah, and man. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> you gotta you gotta pose the question too, though, in terms of the north and the climate question. We don't have a clue because no one's allowed to go to the North Pole. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't really we don't know the answer to that question. Dude, you can go to you can go to fucking Norway. You can go. They're to not Norway. surviving winter at sixty degrees plus north latitude in clothing from the 600 BC. You're just not. No, you, you, it would take some pretty, pretty amazing clothing to survive it <laughs> without shelter structures. Unless people fire. can bring forth. Listen, if you can you bring know, forth got, evidence of clothing, got, I'm game. I got, I, got, I got something. I got something. It's not evidence. It's not evidence. This is as, as ethereal as it gets. But I, I will say this. You know, the uh, a lot of the the culture i'm very i'm so greek centric in my research so just forgive me that that this is totally greece which is like not north right it's it's down south about 37 degree parallel but i do, I do want to make 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 this note because it's kind of been echoing in my head as i go through the nine muses of the enneagram down at the bottom between the two muses of theater there's the comedy it comes first and then comes tragedy is the second muse. Sorry, I'm interrupting your flow. It's all good. It's all good. I um, need, we need the receipts on that. If you can find that Cody, that'd be awesome to put into the chat. Yeah. Proof of tropical coral in Alaska. I see. Yeah. See, I love stuff like that. Yeah. Those kind of artifacts. Well, uh, my point was that comedy, uh, her dress code is uh, kind of scanty. She corresponds with Aphrodite, who wears a thin, a thin nighty. Uh, and they're actually their footwear was very uh, uh, like almost a sock. It was barely uh, noticeable. Uh, but then there's a transfer over when we go to tragedy to the number five position. That muse is Melpomene, uh, pronounced other ways. She has boots. She's the first one to have like hardcore uh, treadwear. And one of her nicknames is she of the sumptuous dress. And so this it seems to imply an evolution from the good old days of comedy where it was all fun and love. Something happened. A tragedy struck the grand scarring of whatever. And now we need more clothing, we need durable footwear, and we need to incorporate tragedy into people's worldview so they don't fall apart when marauders come. So they actually have forbearance and they can understand that tragedy is something that we can get through with a little bit of cultural guidance. <laughs> so in terms of the, I still want to see the, the old newspapers recording proof of tropical coral in Alaska or where there may be better proof than that, but this is hilarious comment. Still in old newspapers are like using tweets or Instagram posts as evidence. Well, I did that <laughs> because there that. was a, there was this episode that um, Longo did with that archivist guy or whatever. And they tried to use uh, old newspaper claims of the Uralic, the Ergofinic uh, languages being the key to deciphering Etruscan languages. And just because an, uh, a newspaper article made that claim in 1915 doesn't mean anyone actually demonstrated it. Cause when you look into the book that Jules Martha, the professor wrote, and I did a whole article on this on my sub stack, please go look at it. Everyone. It's amazing. There is not, 
nobody ever demonstrated that uh, the roots and terminations and the structure of attrition has any affinity to finish or the uralic finish from like uh, fins from uh, Russia, right? Nobody ever demonstrated that. But I did show you how close to Hungary that artifact was allegedly dug up, right? How close to, um, I think it's like, it's weird. It's almost like people don't realize how big, like you guys realize that the most of the known Western world was Italy, right? Like you've seen maps of the Roman empire, correct? They didn't just like go in there and leave everybody's, you know, culture up and say, oh, just pay your tithes and we'll go away. No, we, they, we went over there, built fucking cities. Look at, look at Anatolia, look at Turkey. Look at all the fucking Roman cities still there. Some of the best ruins. They, this whole world, and this is what I'm saying, it was the, if you could just expand your idea of what Italy was, it was m- massive. North Africa, everywhere. From Med- all the way to Asia Minor. But this is inheriting the old system prior to that. And that is what I do agree with, like a lot of these researchers where they're saying something's not adding up with the history of the Roman Empire. And I think it's because that whatever that is, is covering up the Phoenician attrition. And that's why you know nothing about Etruria. You have the most important cities in the world regarding statues, metallurgy, everything that pottery and no Roman or Greek writers write about it. <laughs> like literally that is the cover-up that's what you're trying and so as much as well, i love like, a lot of these people they just get this label the bronze age is this label that gets put on things right. but man the stuff that the artifacts from the bronze age is is uh how do you even get bronze <laughs> you know you need tin and copper gotta and have Orlando writes about britain and the tins the slaves getting sent to the tin mines yeah i mean that that's one of the elements of it that's like okay there there's Truth ringing in that for sure. But so, the problem with it is in the Orlinda, Britain is spelled like this. That's Latin. When this shit would have been written, this was not a name. It was either so, the Bratanak. Play devil's right? advocate. It could be a symptom of the recopying and retranscribing it. And that whoever does that at different intervals throughout the passage of this text forward in whatever family maybe rewrites it in a way that they think their their grandchildren will be able to read and understand and not, you know, the way that it was in the, the last draft. You know, it's like updates that could be just as a just throwing that out there as a possibility. Maybe. But the thing is, is if you're going to pass this off as history, I, I have a hard time because this would have been Bratanak Phoenician. It would have been. Cassiter in Celtic, which the Greeks, Cassiteros, they added their OS termination, right? Yeah. And that's what became the Cassiterides, the islands of tin. But this meant the tin islands. Yes. So the fact that you would neglect that, this, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff in this that is not acknowledging. That's, what, that's where my skepticism is coming from of it being authentic is because it's not acknowledging older cultures doing this stuff. Yeah, I got, I got to point out the Tanakh at the end of Britannach, right? Uh, and also this, you know, the sacred ten laws. Um, that's even that's even uh, continued in uh, the Constitution. The, the Bill of Rights was ten, was a, a commandments, ten commandments. C is a one hundred, so it actually corresponds to the ten again. So commandments, amendments. You just put the, the ten. Century. 
it becomes the sea, right? Overlooker, the, the, the watcher over, which is the maze. The centaur creates the maze. Uh, the century, the century of God, the hundred soldiers of God. You know, uh, Linda is an anagram for Latin. Nice one, Micmac. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Micmac. Big up. No, and no, no. So John addressed this and he, his claim is that no, this whole Latin forgery, this whole Latin corruption, what they did is they, they, he said his claim is that Latin is actually a corruption of the language. So I'm all about that. I'll buy that for, I'll, I'll buy that every day of the week. If the people can start demonstrating it, you know, that's, that's literally like my thing is, there's all these cool, there's all these cool claims that, and into a real world artifact or several. I'll put it in this book. This book is not done yet, but if you can gr- drop the hardcore gravy on that, I'm all about it. But when it comes time to produce evidence, people aren't producing evidence. And that's where my frustration is coming from. Cause I want to get on board with you guys, but it's just not there. So I'm going to, uh, uh, something that I've kind of picked up on, and I think other people could probably speak on this way better than I can, but I just want to point out that like, uh, we've spoken last time about how the, uh, the Sibylline oracles brought to Kume, just some of the cream of the crop writings. And we just get, you know, three, you know, allegedly three books and that they expand on that. And then, uh, and it's probably all sensationalism from there, but that Kume is a very important location. I think it's actually seated in the word Al-Kume uh, myself, but I think that the art craft of, uh, of, how do I say this? I, one, it's in, it's insurance essentially, but it's burial rights. They learned the vulnerability of the Greeks was in their burial rights. And if you can capture everything that has to do with honoring the ancestors, then you can create an entire empire out of being rotten. You can be rotten. And this is the Latin of the Latin. That is the rot that the Pythias sat on top of. And um, at some point, and this is also one of the first pharaohs ever in biblical mythos, is that one of the first pharaohs had learned that you could charge people money while they were still alive and hold it over their head how close they were going to get to the Holy of Holies in their burial plot. Yes, yes. Yeah, man. Yes. And another thing is that when I studied the language of Latin, um, it is so cryptorific. It can like an- it anagrams very, very easily. And remember Isn't it the wild how like you there's no structure to it. Like you can literally put the words up and you're still correct. But they did that was their way of emphasizing stuff. Yes, yes. So if you if you play with this and it is dangerous, I will say do this. Don't this is not admissible in court. But get on the Google Translate and play with Latin words and watch the phrases expand and then go back in and put spaces in between the sounds. And you'll see uh, the sentence take this. It's it's alive. And so there's something strangely zombie like about this dead rot language, rotten language. It is very amorphous in a way that is different from the Greeks. It has a life that is different from what the Greeks are, which I'm still uh Still not quite there, but something about the Latin, when you play with it, it's like they're, they are punning in the way that the language is structured. And it does really fascinating things. So you can do a lot of wild wordplay. Uh, they're so cryptographic. 
And uh, you know who would be a great guest if you get on his show? Because he's like one of the few like Tartaria type of like mud flood, like just just an overall some sort of event happened and he doesn't, he's really good is uh, Conspiracies Are Us. If you could get him on or Conspiracy Are Us, I can't remember what it is, but he's a really great channel. But he was talking about, um, he was saying something about like, like the Latin, um, and I just lost my train of thought trying to trying to shout him out. I just didn't want to hijack his idea, but essentially, like there could be something to the Latin and all this stuff being just like a totally modern construct that was invented to, by the church to cover up the priest. John, even- John Ott also is into the chronology idea that yeah, you know, like eight hundred or a thousand years were tacked on then that when you see 300 it's actually or you see 1300 it's really 300 or vice versa yeah i remember things things of the 2000 years ago are a lot closer to us in history than we think or than we're told i that's that there's an institute there's an institute in i think it's sweden it's one of the scandinavian countries i think that has literally archived like like mapped out every latin inscription that's ever been found and they're found the majority on the outskirts of the empire, not in Italy. And Whoa. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, look, look him up, man. It's one of his last videos, Conspiracy R Us. I, if I can think of it while you guys are talking, I'll go look it up and post it in the chat. It's really that, good. He'd be a great guest, man. Yeah, that is so interesting because we're at a point right now where uh, imper- the imperial expansionism has gone as far as it could possibly can't go expand anymore and now they're turning it inward to collapse back into the center and that's uh that's an old dynamic uh that is that's really something that the exterior ring speaks the more militarized code you know just like i was saying about in the symposium they're like wouldn't it be nice if the outer ring were a bunch of ignorant troops uh, who lived in tropes you know who did whatever we said because they were hero worshipers we just put out a theatrical production and they obey Uh, real quick before we move too far away. I was going back through the Odyssey and I'm um, seeing that I think the Odyssey might be a fictional reaccounting of uh, actual wartime events. I see like uh, Olympus. I'm always putting Olympus in Spain actually as like a, uh, uh, there's something in missing from uh, from the Moorish Muslim aspect of the Spanish history that we're not getting. But I'm uh, seeing them as very much like Olympus and the story of the of uh, Ulysses journey being so similar to the Spanish Armada in the Spanish Armada going wandering all over uh, the UK going to having storms and uh, all kinds of tragedy along the way. But it's almost like the story of a Ulysses is correspondent with the Spanish Armada. And then uh, Zeus is up on on Olympus uh, where all the gods are falling apart because of the war and the fallout. And it's like just correspondent with the fall of Spain. And it's just it just fascinates me how that like we're talking about missing time. Well, this mythology seems to echo strongly in that time frame when the Spanish Armada was sunk and the Tempest was made. That's when John D allegedly made the Tempest sink the Spanish Armada forever. So this makes the, um, the Spain, Spain becomes like the, let me think of this. They become like the Greeks in a strange way. 
And then up north, they become uh, a Troy, the uh, UK. The, uh, uh, yeah, the UK becomes Troy in a strange way. I don't know. It's just fascinating how these uh, these echoes seem to fit. And they're better preserved in history, you know, because the Odyssey is entertaining. If you read Theocytides' history of the Peloponnesian War, it's like dry. So it's not going to preserve for everybody. Whew. This has been interesting. Keep it going. Keep it going. You guys, you know. Or is it time to wrap up? I think I want to wrap up. I've got, I'm only halfway through this set of slides, but I feel that it would be more interesting. Like this is actually not a bad spot to pick it up from next time because it'll kind of incur a little review. And then, so I, I do really want to go further on the Oralinda. We might do it several times. Kind of like we have that series going with the astro herbalism. So if you guys are game, We'll pick it up on the I am, other side. That's actually, I'm reluctantly, that's like the focus of my work right now is just going through this because I want to make sure I'm going to address this in a book, right? Like I have to, because yeah. if it's true and if there is truth there, I want to latch onto it because if it is true, then the majority of my work, I would have to tweak, you know, right? It doesn't discredit any of the work that I've done, but I would have to adapt. So I want to make sure when I put this out that I've got it right. Yeah, and I know you guys love four-hour marathon streams, but <laughs> keeping the streams closer to two hours is a better thing to shoot for to get people to actually watch it. I know. Yeah, I, I didn't realize we were already going for two hours. That's we were at two hours. Is great. This is great, and this is, you know, and I'll be able to more closely comb through the the post-flood history that's given in the Orlinda, and that's what we'll pick up on next time. Talk more about the the triple goddess uh, Lydia, Freya, and Finda. So it's going to be interesting. We'll definitely continue on this. And awesome to have you guys all here. Shout out to Julian. Julian super chatted you the Yule, the Yule, the Yule feast of Julian. I got to send Gabe eleven thousand one hundred eleven won. That was a super chat to Gabe for Gabe. So you get yourself a cash app or something. Start posting the start. Letting me put that in the description of uh, videos and people can send you money. Yeah, a smart business person once said, make it as easy as possible for people to give you money. And lots of people out there want to give you money. Someone just tried to right here. So I think that's like eight or nine dollars USD. (laughs) I got you. You just give me the way to send it. I got you. And uh, loved this conversation so far. You guys bring so much to the table. Happy so, for closing thoughts. There's there's plenty of space for that. We're just making our way towards the goalpost. I'm realizing, buddy. You know this solar image. I just want to put it in everybody's conch showsness. Your conch shows. Is this the tambourine? Is this the tympania? Is this the eardrum? You know. You know this. Uh, this. There's a strange, beautiful thing about the fact that temp is time, you know, and it's, uh, but it's also, um, it's a part of music. It's musical as well. It's not just strictly visual. So uh, part of the thing with the punning is like, it's not, it's also auditory. Uh, so yeah, I kind of have a, uh, I have it in my mind that this is also a cymatic impression of what the tympania of the tambourine 
is making and that the you know the the difference in meter with some of the poetry and the sacred texts uh is probably a really important signature so i'm i'm kind of putting this into a more musical format uh in my mind and i just think it's great because it matches your shirt so well chance right Oh yeah, I designed this logo for Interverse so long ago. I knew nothing about the system or about solar symbolism. I was just like, that looks cool. And uh, yep. you know, every once in a while I get hilarious comments like, Your symbol for your show is obvious that you're part of the Illuminati and you are quite evil. <laughs> it's like, all right. Well that, that's yeah. why I addressed the thirty-three because it's like I don't want No, to I, it's like the it's kind of useful to put the boogeyman stuff on your cover because it will chase away the people who are not ready to address the truth because they're so caught up in like victimhood that they're like, Oh, Masons are everywhere, they're trying to hurt me. So how appropriate is that logo to this? Because you have the Oralinda in the circle, those standing runes in the circle, and then you have the Hebrew, whatever, from the hexagram. It's the same. It's You're seeing it right there. You're seeing it all right there. Gabe, we're getting more super chats that are for you. I guess they don't love me. All the work I put in, poor me. <laughs> Just kidding. We want to support you. So uh, we'll Here, talk let about me that. Put, let me play I think the, the whole different chronology thing, I think... Plato and the Greek philosophers, uh, w w there could be a thread to pull on that that stuff is, you know, fabricated and invented more or at least as much as what, uh, you know, or Linda allegedly would be. Yeah. And Rachel I mean, is willing to. Oh, my gosh. She's paid us all a nice 20 euros tonight. Thank you, Rachel. You're such a good lady. We're all the thing is, though, with the shit you're talking about. That's what the status quo is putting forth. And then we're debunking it as astrotheology. So we're addressing it. You know what I mean? And so now we're addressing it at our own side, right? So like what this shows with the Oralinda is because for me, like I personally uh, gravitate to Norse culture more than probably about, I like the people more. I get along better with the people. I like their myth. Like I like everything about Norse culture pretty much except for how docile they've gotten over the last you know couple centuries one of my good friends is from sweden and stuff and um so i've gotten a privy to what's going on there but what we're doing is we're showing that we are not unwilling to to shine our light or our focus on our own side it's not we don't have an agenda here so if there was a side that we have it would probably be with the oralinda people right because like the 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 mytho like the the tenets, the ideology put forth are very like, you know how Gabe, you were saying like it's uh, freedom and yeah, individualism. Like, yeah. So we tend to identify with that. That's why I'm doing this. Right. And that's, I'm showing people, I'm seeing the same problems in the Oralinda that I see with Herodotus or, you know, anything else that I've addressed ad nauseum. Yeah. You know, there that is kind of the, the strange thing I'm, uh, uh, one of my uh, pet peeves in people is when they negate their own words too quickly, then they, you come out, you end up not really getting anywhere. I find that a pattern of that in myself, but that's kind of something about that Enneagram in that loyalist number six position. It's like uh, these people are looking for community and coming together. That is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but it's just good to know what your enemy knows about it as well. But the shadow side of that number six is the people who are uh, who 
uh, no fear person, like deeply, no fear, like the fear of God. It's a fucking gift. (laughs) It's such a gift. Um, um, so there is a shadow side of the loyalist and that is part of what your filter is chance with that 33. It's like, look, if you people are like, Oh, there's no such thing as a boogeyman that you go live in your 15 minute city. You know, you don't belong here because you don't have the fear of God. You don't know that there is a dark side to the Enneagram. There's that's literally where Luke Skywalker has to go to fight himself, you know? Um, so those people, those castaways, those who had to go through the Exodus into the domain of Hecate and the unknown and this, this crazy spoked wheel where math doesn't, where it's a different based system, let's say, uh, those people have rigor. You know, they have perseverance, my favorite fucking word, perseverance. And those are Spartan characteristics. Rachel Sparks. Yeah. She's she's flirting with me. (laughs) Chance gets all of it. I don't, you already subscribed to my sub stack. I don't need anything. God provides. Appreciate it though. Chance has everything that gets goes to me. This, this is his platform. When Gabe wants us to come do this on his platform, we'll go do it on his platform. When yeah, I them, you know that that's the way cookie crumbles, guys. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Man, I, I just didn't want... think about Hecate's wheel though. You just brought that up. I'm I'm going to bring up the image of Hecate's wheel. It's just uh, I don't know how old this symbol is, but it's allegedly an ancient Greek symbol for Hecate, mm-hmm. and is now right. currently a Wiccan symbol. There's, you know, there's definitely some symbol. Symbolarity. Oh, I just coined a new word. Symbolarity between these. Oh, dude, dude. What's 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 Hakate? Remember, there was like a word you sent me. It's like Hakato or something. It it's like one hundred. It means like yeah, it means a century. But then yes. her root is right there. It's also the X and the X. The S right. The d- nice, nice. Yeah, yes. Hakato is one hundred in Greek. I just learned that while learning Greek this year. Right. Hakato. Ekato. So it's not exactly Hecate, but it is phonetically. It's like Ekato, Hecate. It's got, you know, the consonant sync, sync up really well. Yeah. But yeah, you got this six spoke thing going on. It's very. You know, that would be. That, Pinterest. So the, uh, 10. So XX, that's two X's. That's 10 times 10 becomes 100. Right there. So the two X's becomes Hecate. Twice X. Right. Ten times ten is a hundred. But the, the mythology is there. Her her consciousness comes back every one hundred years. And I have a this is a I mean, in a nutshell, I mean a super nutshell. I'm so overgeneralizing. I think that this Hecate's wheel is what Sigmund Freud was sussing out with his Oedipus complex. And this collapsing of the of the family uh, cannibalizing itself. And turning a blind eye on the uh, the inevitable pressures of society, such that people you go climbing up the ladder, uh, trying to improve the realm, and you find out that your own family and your own roots were the enemy. You know, it's a it's a dark story. It's so uncomfortable and weird, but I think it happens every hundred years. I think it's on the Hecate cycle, and I think Sigmund Freud had a real good sense of that uh, way back in his day. And so the Oedipus thing in the Hecate cycle is fantastic, uh, but it's uh, it's not going away. I'll say that. Well, in the center, it had that Tresquillian or Tresquillian symbolism. You know, the, the three the three legs. 
or the uh, triket, uh, triketra or whatever with the Celtic. Nice. I love that way to say it. Yeah. Uh, the Isle of Man and the, uh, in Sicily. Yes. Originally, Sicily okay. originally. Talk, talk about fucking cultural diffusion. How, I've got a post coming up on that, Gabe, because you made me look into the sheep. Remember when we were talking about the fucking Knum and the, the Manx sheep? So I started looking deep into that Manx and I'm like, what the fuck is on their flag? What the fuck is on this coin? What the fuck? How is this? Nobody talking about this cultural diffusion. It's profound. Yeah. The, the, all things in the Isle of Man were uh, seeded into the new Star Wars, which I don't even enjoy, but it, it's all there. The, the uh, chasing of the Wren ritual, Kylo Wren and Ray, that's a Raven and a Wren. Uh, it's all Welsh-tastic. All right. I know you want to go, Chance. Get it going. Sorry. No, it's good. I mean, you guys just need like your own place to just air out ideas. Oh, wait, you have it. It's vibrant. Sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> uh, last thing I'll say, too, is uh, everyone, congratulations to, to India for landing on the moon today. I don't know if you guys saw that, but it's obviously super real. It doesn't look fake at all. Space oh, and Earth wow. Please oh. promote us, YouTube. Earth <laughs> Congrats, India. Chance, will you do me one favor, one awesome kindness, please? Will you pull up the vulture one that I sent you in the, our personal telly? Because that's a good one. To, that's coming up for the whole week. We're on Vulcanalia. Happy, happy Vulcanalia, everybody. It's the day of the volcano. It's the day Vesuvius erupted and the Krakatoa erupted and left a, uh, seven circles around something, which is the seven uh, rivers of the river Styx. So, yeah, today's the Vulcan, volcano holiday, and it goes for three days. It's uh, overnight, and then it uh, is concluded with three more days of the Vulturnalia. And we are officially crisscrossing the Analima throughout this entire week. And so it is the volcano holiday. And the volcano is the uh, powerful correspondence to the moon card, which is Hawaii. And so those events taking place in Hawaii are Vulci Gitturia, Victory. Uh, that's a city, Vulci. It's in a, it's a city in Etruria. It's one of those oh. ones that the Romans and Greeks don't write about. Interesting, because uh, yeah, people are kind of weird about vultures, right? Like uh, they're 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 birds of omen. They're ominous birds. They're literally ominous. There's no more ominous of a bird. So um, right now, there's going to be people talking about vulture capitalism. Well, this is literally what happens when the X of the Analima descends to cross that the song by your your buddy Logan is about. What's that? The rich men and rich yes. men or whatever. That's vulture capitalism. It's like, is, right, you know, priming people for vulturnalia. This is all a ritual. This is such a ritual. All of it. So that's a, yeah. So this is vulture capitalism. Uh and what, there's one more thing. Oh, and it's also, here's the thing. It's the 10. This is completion. This is completion. This is the crossing of the X. Why uh, land grab ties into this? I see that in your graphic. Okay. I'm, yes. I'm starting to see the bigger picture. Yes. And uh, Volturnus uh, is also a lake in Antarctica. 
which is very fascinating to me that it has that, uh, you know, that, uh, oh, and that down under, that plus ultra kind of uh, more beyond, you know, kind of uh, historical tie-in. And, oh, but also Volturn, this, so three days of the volcano, then three days of Volturnalia, which is called Vulture, Vulture, but it's uh, in commemoration to a river god, the Tiber River, Dylan. Uh, Yeah. Right, right. But this whole thing is tying a bow. This is tying the bear all together. It puts all the ribs of the bow into one nice little package here. So in a crazy way, this ritual makes uh, real dark sense. You know, this is torturous, literally. Old world Mac Mac just brought up turkey vultures. And I'm not kidding you guys. When I've seen one of them from far away, they're massive, like on the side of the road eating a deer carcass. And when I first saw it, I got like the fear of like the underworld. It looked like a fucking black wraith. The way it's like feathers were moving as it was feasting. And it and they're so big on top of a, a, a deer. I'd never seen anything like this. And for a brief moment before I realized what it was, it was like something from the netherworld had popped up and was like. They have that red know? head. Like their their head is all like blood red. <laughs> And you know what? Uh, They're gnarly. Greece is on fire. There were fires in Greece today, which is where the Temple to Hades is on the Another Grease degree. fire. Another Grease fire. So when you said that it came up from the underworld, it totally made me think of the Temple to Hades, where they used to throw birds into the fumes as a sacrifice. But Chance, we're, pushing, we're keeping you up all night here. No, no, it's okay. Um, did you know that the turkey vulture is re- more related to the stork? than it is to other birds of, of prey. Very interesting. That's the storgy, that fraternal love. Definitely, you know, makes me think of the Hermanos and the Spartans. Oops. And the Palacios. Yeah, Palazios. exactly. That's what I was going for. Like, Dylan, like the, the Palazgi, that's the Phoenician symbol. The Palazgi, that's the Holy Sailors. I got a book titled that. That's why. You, that's right. Which yeah, I brought that up in the slides earlier with the Ralda breathing or giving the odd, or the reproductive power to the triple goddess with the three sisters. Right. And that Let's odd not... word is connected to a word referring to the stork. Right. <laughs> according, Let's not forget... to, according to Jan Ott. Palazgi. Placenta, magenta, valis, all related. Drop the mic. We're yep. out. All right. Good night. Fuck you, Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one. Make sure you're see following Slick Dissonant on YouTube. Dylan's Substack will be linked. I put everything in the, in the chat already. You're good. It's in the show description, too. If you're not catching this live, hit me up for tuning. Got some space in uh, September to do some tuning. Been having great, miraculous experiences. You know you're ready. All right. Good night, everybody. Love you all. Thanks for supporting. Thanks for tuning in. See you on the next one. We will continue the Oralinda soon. Peace.